0: Well, I am so glad. Are you ready to see what God has for you this morning? You know, we can show up to church and just go, okay, we're in church, and okay, we're done with church. And by the way, where are you guys going for lunch? Well, God has something for you and me today, and I just want us to be open to that. So let me ask you to start out this way. Have you ever had to buy a gift for a person who has everything? Anybody? Well, by the way, when I preach, it's a participatory situation. The more you participate, the faster I preach. Oh, I knew I'd get a couple. Of yes, God bless you. See you after church. Anyway, um, you have this person that has everything and you got to come up with a gift, birthday or Christmas or whatever it might be. And I was just thinking about that. Uh, I have 12 grandchildren. We have 12 grandchildren. And it's hard to keep track of all the birthdays. Myrna um, does that for us. But it's like, okay, this year, what are we getting? Well, we did this last year. We did this last year. What, what should we do? And then I got to thinking about um, my heavenly father. We learned last week from Pastor that God owns it all. Amen? In fact, I think it would really be good for us if we just all take our wallets and just put them on the altar this morning. Just teasing. I'm overstepping my bounds way too much. But anyway, the the thing is, is God has it all. God has everything. He's the creator, right, of the whole place. And uh, what's that scripture? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he owns the hills too. So what do you give God? As I was thinking about it, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but as I thought about it, the thing that I could give God, the thing that I can give God is my total surrendered life to him. My total surrendered heart. In fact, that's what discipleship is. When you think about this idea of discipleship, as we learn more and and we lean more and more into Jesus and how the Holy Spirit then begins to work as we practice these disciplines. We've been, we've been talking about these over the last few weeks. And the thing is, is all of these things that are on our graphic are not boxes to be checked. They're not notches on our gun. Anybody understand that statement? They're not notches on our gun. I used that in my life group the other night, and it was like, notches where? They're not boxes just to be checked. As Paul said, these are the things that as we lean into Jesus, these are the things that transform us. And in fact, in the original language of chapter 12, it's not just be transformed, it's what? be Being transformed. It's an ongoing process in our lives. So this morning, I want us to widen our view and discover what a transforming community looks like. Now, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff, and then we're going to come back to our life groups. But I want to show you how it kind of just all fits together. Now, when I went to college, and we did have electricity and all that. When I went to college, we had a professor, and our chaplain was Dr. Reuben Welch. Incredible man of God. He taught for a whole year on the book of Hebrews. Wouldn't that be something if our pastor said for 2023 he's going to preach on Hebrews the whole year? It was amazing. Well, out of that, he wrote a book called We Really Do Need Each Other. And when we talk about our life groups, we talk about community, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're focusing on. That the need we have one for another. In fact, turn to the person next to you, and I am watching. Turn to the person next to you and just say, I need you. Okay, now ready? Here we go. Now turn to him and say, you need me. So, okay, so if you're ready now, uh, hey, you know the great thing about second service? We, we have no time limit. I love it. Um, if you're ready to jump into this, this idea of Scripture this morning, that I think is just going to be an incredible journey, I want to invite you to turn in your scripture to Ephesians, and I'm going to ask you to stand just out of just saying, God, thank you for your word in our life. So the first scripture we're going to read is found in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to go at chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Okay? Chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And with my vision issues, I think I'll just look it up in my Bible. Are you ready? It happens when you get chronologically mature. Here we go. So as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You are a called people. Amen? Be completely humble and gentle. Look at the person next to you. Are they being completely humble and gentle? Have they been completely humble and gentle our morning? Be patient. That's another challenge, isn't it? Amen. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as so you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all. Okay, now I want you to jump over to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to read chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Give, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. Can I just tell you this morning, Jesus is coming. Oh, you missed that. Jesus is coming. Amen? How many know when? Whenever God says. And for every day that he doesn't, gives us opportunity to live out what he's called us to do. Heavenly Father, this is your word for your people for this day. Now I ask you, Lord, that you would just get rid of me and allow your Holy Spirit to just speak as He will. We thank you, Lord. You're an incredible God. In Thy precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When we think about, um, how the early church did church together there in the book of Acts, there's, a, there's kind of this theme that kind of goes all the way through Acts and then overflows into the uh, Apostle Paul's writings to the church. And let me give you just some quick highlights. Don't try to look it up. There'll be like one of those Bible drills so you can get there first. Acts 2.46 says so, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and the what? Breaking of bread from house to house. All right? Anybody here ever done a progressive dinner? They already had us beat. They were doing it. Acts 12.12, so when he had finished and considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And then in Acts twenty seven eight, Paul kept on until midnight. Paul preached till midnight, that's a long time. He says there were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. And then in Paul's writings, let me just share two quick ones with you, Romans sixteen five. Likewise he says, Greet the church that is in their house. First Corinthians sixteen nine. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord. With the church, that is, in their house. So you get this idea. We we get this idea. The early church was all about doing life together. The conviction about uh, life groups, if you will, at least for us as a church and and for me as, as a pastor for many years, this whole conviction about small groups, life groups, call them what you want, is this belief that as followers of Christ, are you ready? We cannot grow to the potential that God has for us without community, without my Christian community. We need more than just simple classroom experiences. In fact, if you come to Nexus, oh, by the way, Nexus, how many of you have heard the word Nexus? How many use Nexus to shampoo your hair? We don't shampoo in our group. Nexus in the original language means connection. That's what we try to do. But if you come to our group on Wednesday nights and we're talking about Scripture, sometimes I ask a question and I ask a response and we'll sit there for a few minutes of silence. It's, it, it's, this, it's this doing life together. It's this coming together. We need to be deeply involved in a community of people where we get to know each other and we get to be known by others. It's one of the tough things when you go into a new group, right? It's one of the tough things when you decide to join a small group. Sometimes you just got to hide behind something. Well, it's a great place for us just to come to be known and to be accepted. There's four ways that we hear Jesus, the way that we hear him speak to us in our life. One of those is the scripture. Another one of those is prayer. Uh, Another one of those, anybody tell me? Scripture, prayer. There's no wrong answers. That's what I tell my students all the time. Scripture, prayer. How about the Holy Spirit? And then, how about our Christian brothers and sisters? Don't you love it when your Christian brothers and sisters speak into your life? Sometimes it's challenging. We need other people to spur us on. Anybody know what a spur is? Yeah, and what it's used for? Well, we won't go there. Um, our culture doesn't do a very good job when it comes to this idea of doing community. Community just doesn't do it very well. We we live in this individualized society. The writer of our book, Organic Discipleship, pointed out that back in the day, when a family, they went to dinner, or they went to eat out, or they sat down at the house, it was all about eye-to-eye conversation. You know, way back uh, when when I was young and your pastor, um, that the living room furniture was arranged in a square because it's all about conversation. Now we arrange it in a U with the great God of widescreen in the middle. Yes, I have one too, but anyway. And then there's the technology that we have. I love technology. But you know, that our technology has created greater isolation than at any time in history. Our writer pointed out in our chapter for this week that during most conversations, we're either checking our devices that we carry in our pocket or we're doing this on our, our, our iWatch or what do you ever call this thing, an Apple Watch? I have no idea. Somebody gave it to me, and I just wear it. You ever been talking to somebody, and you're having this conversation, and you're just conversing, and they're like... and Really, what that leads to is fractured conversation. I know. You see, eye contact it is broken. And now some of you are going, well, what are you going to do, throw away your phone? No. I'm not, I'm not trying to throw our technology under the bus, but, but it, it doesn't do a lot for community. Myrna and I went out to dinner the other night to have Chinese food, and we're trying to find the best Chinese food place in the area. If you have an idea, let me know. So we were at this one, and I noticed that as we went in, there was a table of about six, mom and dad, a couple kids, I don't know, maybe a grandma, and every one of them are on their phone. Wow, it's really quiet today. We have more connections. Anybody can beat me. I have a thousand Facebook followers. How many have a Twitter account? How many followers do you have? Because see, isn't that what it's all about? But, but what happens is is we have more connections, but we have less intimacy in our relationships. Isolation, isolation, is the enemy of community. This, this technical culture, this culture we live in, it screams for our attention. But it just leads to loneliness. And that's even when we're not alone. Here's what I know about the enemy of our soul. Satan knows how real Christian, Christ-centered community will change the world. And so he hates consistent, life-giving community. He can't stand healthy churches loving small groups. He wants to do everything he can to keep us from growing strong, supportive, and caring of one another. And I just have to say this morning, in a group this size, it's very difficult for us to do that right here. Amen? Small groups gives us that context, if you will. I'm sure that you would agree with me this morning, that the world is relationally fractured. And it's resulting in every kind of breakdown you can imagine. And so this morning, I want us to look a little bit at this idea of community and how that ties in to life groups, small groups as as we know them. Do you know that in our human uh, existence... Community is in our DNA. We're created by God to live in relationship with Him and with one another. Turn to the person on the other side of you and say, I like you. Well, did you you mean it? So we go back to the beginning of creation. We find that we're made what? In the image of God. The triune God. This means that as humans were made in the image of a God who is a we and not a me. You ever thought about that? God is a we, not a me. You notice in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, What? Can we say it together? Let us make man in our image. Interesting. God's Uh, This is not a word, teachers. God's threeness (laughs) has huge importance for what it means for me to be a human. Since we're made in the image of God who exists in community himself, as humans, we have community, if you will, hardwired into us. We're created for community, folks. When we ignore relationships, we're cutting against if you will the grain of our god image we can't isolate ourselves without becoming deeply broken and lonely because you see god told adam something at creation as well he created everything he created adam and he said he turned to his threeness and he said what it is not good for what man to be alone can i can i just tell you we use that in marriage ceremonies all the time. But it's not just marriage, folks. It's not good for us to be alone. And my fear is, is that even when I'm in a crowd, I'm alone. Because I'm not experiencing that community, if you will. Well, nobody likes to be alone. We're built to know and be known because we're made in his image. And you got that down yet? Just want to make sure. And if we're created in God's image, and God is a, if you will, God of community, then if we're truly being disciples of Jesus Christ, we will be people of community. It's not a choice. All throughout Scripture, we get this idea that we is greater than me. God can accomplish and will accomplish more for his glory through his people together than when we're disconnected. There isn't anyone can say, I'm not needed. I I hear that from people. I'm not needed. I'm not gifted. I'm not like so-and-so. There isn't anybody in this sanctuary this morning who is not needed in the kingdom of God. And there's nobody that can look at somebody else and say, you're not needed. Again, it was Paul who said in 1 Corinthians, you know, if if one part suffer, what happens? We all suffer. If one part is honored, then we all rejoice together. When Jesus was asked the most important commandment, what did he say? That was a question. What did he say? Say it out loud. Say it again. That's the right answer. Love God and put up with everybody else. No. Love God and love others. And then he said, on those two commands hangs everything else. Are you getting it? Relationship. Community. Well, God's plan for healing the brokenness that I just shared in the community is what? In in the world around us is the church. The God of the Bible is a community forming God. God never brings, and this is something that I saw all through ministry, God never brings someone to himself without also at the same time bringing them into a relationship with someone else. Why? Because that's the image of God. Well, in the New Testament, uh, the church is described, the, the body of Christ is described in some incredible metaphors. Uh, one of those is living stones. Another one, fellow citizens of the kingdom of God. We're called members of the same household. And continually throughout the New Testament, we're referred to as brothers and sisters. In all of these, we see that Scripture then, God's Word unites us together, no matter our race, no matter our economic status, no matter, no matter how many toys we got in the garage, it, it just doesn't matter. And what God is telling us in His Word this morning is we are not on this journey alone. And I can see somebody going, oh yes, praise God, Jesus is with me. Can I just tell you something? You need me. Isn't that humble? You need me. But I need every one of you in this journey. Well, there's this idea of we're born into community or we're created in the image of God who is a community-style God. But then there's the individualized Christian. Now, I'm going to say something here. You may or may not agree, and it's okay. It's possible. No. It's impossible for someone to be a Christian on their own. Impossible. God has redeemed us into a deep and a rich, close-knit community. And while there's many who view the Christian life as highly personal and private spiritual growth, the Bible reveals that that growth is impossible outside of community. I I was speaking with Pastor Chad just just the other service just before we began, and have you ever noticed that a lot of songs we sing talk about me, talk about I? Did you notice he changed the words in the last song? Interesting. You see, you won't, have you ever heard the Lord is my personal Savior? You won't find that in Scripture. Even a quick reading in the New Testament shows how deeply communal the Christian life really is. Most of the U's, Y-O-U apostrophe, yes, most of the U's in the New Testament are in the plural form. Almost all the commands that are given to Christians can only be carried out in Christian community. So let's, let's just look at these one another's really quick. So we're to love one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to forgive one another. Here's a good one. We're to confess our sins to one another. Anybody confess your sins one to another this week? Don't raise your hand. That's a rhetorical question. And he says, speak the truth to one another in love. And the list goes on. So a question arises. In my mind, how can we obey God's, if you will, one another commands if we're not deeply engaged in community and with one another? Not only is community assumed in the New Testament, but all of the New Testament authors uh, in different ways command believers to come together in community. We read earlier that out of the book of Hebrews where it says what? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. What does that mean, folks? What it means is We better get together. What it means is it's not optional for us as followers of Christ to not be people in community. Well, Christians ought to be getting together often to spur one another on to love and good works. And when I say spur, I mean encourage. Any horse riders out there? No, I rode a horse once. Didn't go well. I had spurs on. Do you know spurs will fit on high-top Nike tennis shoes? I'm just saying. I said, "How do I get this thing to go?" There was no starter. There was no gear shift. He said, "Just give it a little kick in the in the sides with your spurs." So I did. And then the person leading the group had to ride to catch up with me. I spurred that horse. And I know there's some that if you feel, I really need to spur them. But what we're talking about is encouragement. No matter who they are. Because why? Leads me to my next observation. Love requires community. The only way we can know that we love one another is if we actually know somebody. You can't love somebody you don't know. And you don't have that, that intimate contact with. Jesus said the most defining mark of Christian love is that you actually love your enemies. It's one of those scriptures I wish they would have left out, but... But well, what was the power of the early church? And here's what just blows my mind. And we won't get it in the context of where we live, but in the context of that day, do you realize that the Jews and the Gentiles, they hated each other? But it was the Jews and the Gentiles that through Jesus Christ came together and were referred to as brothers and sisters. Well, love requires community. How do I know if I love others? I need to get to know the real other of you and who you are. I, I believe that community is the only place where the agape love of Christ is, is really revealed. Well, the other thing that comes to my mind, observation is that uh, this idea of mission requires community? While each Christian, we're called, right? Because it is the great co mission, we're all called, we're all on a mission. But the Christian community as a whole just offers this powerful collective witness to our world. The church community is called to be an alternative, folks, in the middle of this ungodly world. As we treat one another with love and with grace, we forgive one another, we bear one another's burdens, man. That shows the world that there's a different way to live, but if I'm going to be able to be that light, I need you. Although it is probably possible on some level to live out these values individually, God's plan for mission was always his people collectively. Love for the stranger, the the down and out, the outcast, the care for our enemies, our unity around the gospel becomes an illustration of the kingdom of God. And if there's one thing the world desperately needs to see is the kingdom of God that has come. The kingdom of God is here and is yet to come. We understand that. But we are the kingdom that is now. And our world needs to see that in and through us. When we love like this, Man, wouldn't it be great for someone to say what they said about the early church in Acts? In Acts 2.47, they said, they enjoyed the favor of all people. That included not just the brothers and sisters, but the whole community. Well, another observation in my mind is God's Word is the foundation of community. The Word is the only foundation for community. It tells us that we are all the same. All of us. When it comes to God, none of us are more acceptable. Sometimes in our, in our mind and in our heart, we look at somebody, we look at a pastor, or we look at some saint in the church, and we say, oh man, God really loves them. And can I just tell you, God doesn't love them any more than he loves you. We're we're not more acceptable than the other. All of us come to God as what? Sinners saved by his amazing grace. Because the foot of the cross, the ground, is all level. Old saying. The gospel tells us that our identity is not found in what we accomplish, but in what Christ has accomplished for us. Our acceptance before God and before others is based on God's work, not mine. This creates a community of people, a community of people that that humbly accept one another. We can unite around our common acceptance before God, rooted in his grace. So, kind of bringing our time to a close this morning. You know, I always liked it. My dad was a pastor for 38 years, and I had to go to church every Sunday and sit in the second row. I loved it when dad said, and in closing, most powerful words of a sermon. And in closing, can I, can I just take a little personal time here and, and just share a little bit with you about what I've discovered, what Myrna and I have discovered about life groups here at Bentonville Community? There's only four things. Number one, I love it because our life groups do life together, as we spoke of earlier. Life group, it's an extended family. Um... When I, when I sub, I always ask the students how old I am, and they usually guess somewhere around 45. Yes, sir. And they are so off. Myrna and I grew up, spent our whole life, me 63 years. You'll have to ask her how many years she spent. No, I'm 64 now, huh? Thank you, babe. It's always good to have your wife in church. Sixty-four years, pastoring forty-two of that. You develop some incredible friendships. You 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 you, you get involved with people who love you. And do you know what it's like when God says, "Go forth into an unknown country"? And after 64 years of life, I moved to this place called Bella Vista, Arkansas. Can I tell you, it's not easy? You're like, yeah, because you're from California. Well, okay. It's not easy. But can I tell you something? It wasn't long after we got here. That some crazy person came up and asked us, hey, we do a group on Sunday night. We'd love for you guys to join us. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know these people. Thank God for my wife. She said, we need to go. I kind of thought I was forsaking all the friends I'd had before. So we went And you know what it is to walk into a group and you're the awkward person? Can I tell you what I remember most about our first life group together? We were in their um, driveway. I had a big old sippy cup full of Coke Zero, which is, I think, the nectar of heaven. But I put it down in my chair. I got up to go get my wife a blanket and that thing fell over and just spilled all down their driveway. I knew there was people going, who invited these guys? Can I tell you that it didn't take, listen, this is an important thing, because if you're not in a life group, I want to tell you it doesn't take long. Within two weeks, I felt like I had been around those folks for a long time. Why? Because we share things that are in common. Christ, his word, love, care. And it wasn 't long before Myrna and I I could actually share with that group the the, the kind of um, depression I was going through making this huge change because now I come to church, I have to sit and listen. My wife says that 's good for you, honey and so what i 'm saying is our, our life groups they, they do life together it 's like it 's like this extended family. It, it just, it's a group, oh man, they had some great meals. They eat together, they, they, they play together, they have fun together. We, we used to just pick on Tim all the time. And I, I really miss that, Tim. We just had a great time. We celebrated important things that were happening in people's lives. And, and then when someone had a burden, we were able to pray together. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Because, man, we just do and journey, life's up and downs, whatever comes. Well, well the second thing that, that I noticed about the life groups here is, and the ones we've been a part of, because you know what? If we just do life together and we don't um, go beyond that, it's just a social club. But the cool thing is, is that we, we study Scripture together. We get into God's word. Folks, listen, you want to grow, you get into God's word. That's what the scripture tells us. They got into God's word all the time. We gather around that. They were committed, if you will, to the word of God as kind of the center of the time together because it's scripture that unites us. It's our love for one another as a family. It's the word of God. That's a foundation. Along this, kind of this same point here at Benville Community, I love it that our groups are discussion-based. What I love about life groups that we've had the blessing to be involved in is, is it's not time to hear another sermon. Sorry, Pastor. It's not time for someone to preach. That's why Myrna often sits close to me and pinches me after so many minutes. Honey, you need to say, and in closing right now. But but it's a discussion. Rather than hearing just another sermon or lesson, it's an opportunity to hear how the gospel of God, of Jesus, is working in the lives of those in the group. It is such a thrill to hear someone say, man, I was reading the Word of God, and here's what God showed me. It's, it's just incredible. It's a great time to learn um, from the uniqueness of everybody else's perspective. I just need to let you know really quick, I wrote it down. Uh, please don't be disappointed. Your perspective is not always correct or the best. But when we're together, we, we can ask hard questions. We can ask honest questions. We can, we can share our struggles as a group. It's also a time to challenge one another. To challenge one another in the different contexts that we live in, and we witness and work out this thing that God calls as our mission. Well, the other thing I, I really like this one is that our, our small group, our connect group, and I'm sure it's true of all the others, we pray and encourage one another. In a church this size, our, our pastors, there's no way that our pastors can meet all the needs of the congregation. We have some Superman-type pastors, but they just can't cut it like that. We, we, it's inevitably that there'll be somebody that's discouraged or, 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 or maybe on a weekly basis, I, I don't know. There might be a physical need that they're not aware of, and, and, and there's a prayer need that goes unmet. One of the most humbling things as, I, as a pastor that I ever experienced is I went to a hospital, and you know, pastors are supposed to come to the hospital. It's written somewhere in our laws. I mean, if the, if the pastor hasn't come prayed for you, you haven't been prayed for. Not. So I'm hurrying around, I get to the hospital, I run in, I'm out of breath. And I say, I am so sorry, I couldn't get here earlier. I'm so sorry for what's happened. Man, I want to pray that God will just be with you. And they just said, Pastor, it's okay, you're not needed. Well, that made me feel really good. I I said, well, I'd still like to pray for you. Oh, they said, don't get me wrong, Pastor, I'd love for you to pray for me, but my whole life group has already been here and prayed and gone. Praise God. I love it that that our life groups believe in this thing called prayer. I love it when we pray and we pray and share our needs back and forth. It's just a consistency I love. Well, the last thing is we do mission together. As life groups, we're committed to being on mission in, in the surrounding areas that God has given us to minister A sure way for a group or a church to lose momentum is when we no longer look outside of ourselves. God designed His people to be on mission together in the world. Now, I understand, guys, that we are called as the believers of Christ. We're called out of the world, out of the darkness. But then it's really, this is one of those mysteries. God calls us out of the darkness, and then he does his thing in our heart and life, and then he tells us now, go back and illuminate the darkness. I, I was just totally blessed. After Myrna and I began our small group, one Sunday... And I forgot to get the date, but one Sunday there was a young lady up here with a baby. And that was cute. But you know what the blessing was? To see a whole life group lined up next to her. On mission. On mission. I I love it. The mission of our church, the mission of our small groups, is to reach out with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples. Life groups are part of this vital plan to make disciples. If you're not engaged in a small group, can I just tell you, um, and I'm not your pastor, so I'm not paid to say this, can I just tell you you're missing a blessing? You, you really are. You're missing out on an incredible blessing in your life. Life groups are really, if you will, uh, as, I, as I've n- Observed here at Ben Community, life groups are a main strategy for us to make disciples. we got to hang out. What does the Scripture tell us? Iron sharpens iron. Life groups are really kind of a, a mainstay for, for making disciples. Over the years of ministry, I've got to be honest with you, I've seen that folks who are involved in small groups or life groups, we'll call them what you want, grow faster and are more involved in using their gifts and staying connected to the church than any other situation. Well, as we think about our life groups, let me just uh, tell you, I want to challenge us this morning. I want to challenge everybody in here to give yourself to what I believe Scripture shows us is the most effective avenue of making disciples who make disciples. You say, well, pastor, that's not my gift. Oh, yes, it is. Jesus called all of us to go into the world and make disciples. And as I look at it, small groups, life groups, they're biblical They're simple, they're reproducible, they're cross-cultural, and they're cross-generational. I love it. I was talking with pastor this week, and one of the thoughts, and you've probably heard it, but I think his prayer, my prayer, and the prayer of those that are are leading our small group ministry, we we don't, don't want to be a church that has small groups. We need to be a church that is small groups. Of small groups, so as you leave today, right outside those doors, to my left and your right, there's this little stand with a QR code, and all you have to do is scan it with your phone. And I want to encourage you to do that. If you scan it with your phone, it's not like okay, you will report to such and such a group, but but scan it. Look at the different life groups that. The church has to offer. Just today, take that first step in becoming a, a more uh, intentional, growing disciple of Christ, to be part of a spiritual community where you'll be loved, you'll be prayed for, you'll be encouraged, and you'll discover God's Word, and you'll be on mission with Jesus. Here's something that uh, I want to leave with you. Being a disciple who makes disciples is not an option. It's what Jesus has called us to. Life groups is the best way to be engaged. My prayer is God will bless you and my hope is that you'll just consider. Remember, we can't, we can't go out there alone. Guess why? We really do need each other.